the whole 24-7, we're meant to be revolving and God's meant to be at the centre. But of course, the world being what it is, our lives being what they are, we get knocked out of that orbit. And maybe something else starts to be the centre of our lives. And it seems to me the act of worship, actually gathering together and, or, or even just on your own, intentionally worshipping, is very important. And it's very important for a whole host of reasons, but not least that it gives us the opportunity to be put back into restored into a proper orbit around God, to remind ourselves that he is the centre of our universe. And if anything else gets to be the centre of our universe, that's not good for us. And we need, to, we need to repent and come back. Now, this morning we looked at this story, and you can find it online if you didn't uh, manage to hear it. It uh, uh, looks at the story of David bringing the ark to Jerusalem. And um, it, undeniably, he did not behave in the normal way, let's say, as he was worshipping God, that kings were expected to behave. He, he sort of stripped down, stripped off all his robes and danced before God, it says, with all his might, leaping and dancing before God. Uh, and he was only wearing just a very simple item of clothing that the priests would wear. And... Um, and Michael, his wife, is looking on, and it says she despises him in her heart. And David speaks to her. They basically have a bit of a row, it seems to me, about it. She said, she's very sarcastic to him and say, oh, well, how you, how you have distinguished yourself today. And David's response says, next slide, please. I will celebrate before the Lord, I will become even more undignified than this. He says, I will humiliate myself in my own eyes. And I just wanted to, to sort of reflect on this. I, I, some of you know that I did a PhD in, in basically it, was, it, it led to examining the history of the Pentecostal and Charismatic movements. And you know, this has been a perennial source of conflict within certain wings of the church about what is acceptable and what is unacceptable affection for God. So there's a little spiritual exercise before we start. Because this isn't about other people primarily, this is about you and it's about me. How much affection, honestly, do you feel for the Lord Jesus? Just, you don't have to answer that question, obviously. If you're rating your levels of affection for Jesus from 1 to 10, what would you, what would you give yourself? Because I think we'd all agree, at least in principle, that the, the right answer, and there is a right answer to this question, is 6. No, of course it's not 6. That's, that's the moderate answer. The right answer is 10. It's the only answer for Christians. Because we're called to love God with all our heart and all our strength and all our might, everything in our whole personality. But I suspect if you're anything like me and life being what it is, you probably do settle for six quite a lot of the time. And God has to settle for six a lot of the time. Or perhaps even less. David expressed... 10 here and Michael 
who presumably did not feel those levels of affection for God, rather than being challenged by his zeal, looked on him and despised him. And there's, there's something very dangerous about that. That when we get into that space that not only are we feeling a bit cold towards God, but that we encounter others who are expressing their affection for God and it turns us off and we begin to despise them in their hearts, I think that's, that's sort of perilous ground. On the other hand, there is another question. Is it possible that sometimes behaviour can tip over into extremes that are dishonouring to God. Let's have the next slide up. I thought I'd start with a really extreme example. I don't know if you're familiar with this um, sort of Christian cult. They are snake handlers. And uh, I picked this picture because the guy looks suitably crazy, doesn't he? And um, there's a lot of these in, in the backwaters of American culture. Uh, these are um, a group that came out of Pentecostalism. And you know, they're not altogether... Who's heard of them? Hardly anyone. Okay, well, one, one, two. Uh, okay, so the snake handlers were founded by a Pentecostal pastor, I think, um, who was reflecting on that passage at the end of Mark's Gospel where it says, they shall handle deadly snakes and not be, not be poisoned. And uh, somewhat unfortunately, rather than reading that as a promise of God's protection, as most of us would read it, he, he kind of read it in the wrong way and began to think that God was actually instructing him. So it was an imperative. You shall handle deadly snakes and drink poison and not be harmed. And so they have come to the conclusion, these groups, that in their, um, in their worship, an expression of their faith and devotion to God is that they do handle snakes and that they drink uh, I believe watered down strychnine and um, I would love to talk to them about the watered down business because really they either believe it or they don't having said that I don't think that they you know I, I wouldn't want to be encouraging them to drink neat strychnine because that might have uh, an altogether different effect now uh, I, I love this part I mean this is just amazing isn't it I find this so fascinating um, occasionally people die in the services I'm surprised they don't die more often and they've even got a theology lined up for it that when someone dies, it's because either there was sin in their life, and so they've stepped outside of God's protection, or they, um, or the the anointing wasn't present, so they didn't do enough praying or whatever beforehand. Now it seems to me that there'd be none of us here who would think this was appropriate, and we wouldn't think it was appropriate because it, it's a misunderstanding of God's word. Having said that, you see, should we be any less devoted than them? It, is our rejection of that because in their foolishness, their ten of affection for Jesus, and you can't fault their, you know, they're, they're, they're putting their money where their mouth is, aren't they? <laughs> is our rejection of that that we just think we're altogether more dignified and sensible? I think it's right to reject this on the basis that it's a foolish understanding of God's word. But it's not right to reject it because of their zeal. Next slide, please. This is a depiction of a group known as the Shakers. 
The Shakers came out of the Quaker movement. The Quakers themselves, we'll see a picture of them in a minute, uh, were those were given that name because of their somewhat um, excessive kind of physical uh, activity in worship, let's call it that, and uh, they, they quaked. And the Shakers were a kind of renewal movement with the, within the Quakers, and I mean, this just looks... It's, it's a very short man there, isn't there, as well, joining in, uh, you'll notice, but they developed... So, so they sort of took things a step further and were known for kind of shaking, and they did these kind of, I guess you'd describe them as sort of a form of line dancing in worship. The funny thing is, do you know what the Shakers are famous for now? Furniture. It's really weird. They, make furni they made furniture and they developed a whole style of furniture that even now people will go out and buy Shaker furniture. Anyway, sorry, that's just a quirk of history. Now, I mean, I can't see us doing anything like that anytime soon in church. Perhaps the next slide. These are the Quakers, early Quakers. You can see the depiction of somebody swooning there. Very emotive. Next slide. Closer to home. Many of you experienced, uh, or many of you, some of you here will have experienced uh, what came to be known as the Toronto Blessing. A sort of outbreak of a lot of emotive kind of uh, behaviour in worship stemming from the Toronto Vineyard Church back in the 90s. Typically, people would fall, be prayed for and fall down. They would often laugh while they were on the floor. Um, now, here's the thing. By nature, I find all of this deeply uncomfortable. I'm a pretty stiff, kind of middle-class sort of person. Okay, And... Um, Certainly when I was a young man, my reaction to this kind of stuff was, okay, I really, you know, all I could sit there and think was, we're just giving ammunition for people who want to bring the church into disrepute. Since I've been a pastor, I have met people who find this kind of thing deeply disturbing, and people who appear to be very much... Uh, you know, in love with Jesus. I've met other people for whom an experience like this seems to have fast-tracked their love for Jesus. So I don't know, in all truth, what to make of it. I have my own reaction to it, which is I find it hard to imagine myself behaving like this in public. Um, and there's part of me that thinks, in what way does it honour God? And then I speak to somebody who I really respect, and there are a lot of them, People who seem completely normal and, you know, whose love for Jesus just got, you know, uh, supercharged through an event like this or an experience like this. So what do we make of it all? David was prepared to be dignified. Now, I meet some folk for whom it seems that they almost think the only authentic expression of worship is when it gets all undignified, right? And I meet others who seem more concerned about their dignity than they do about genuinely worshipping God. And I'm a pastor in the middle of that, and I've reflected a lot on it, and I do not have any simple answers, really. Except 
I'm just going to give you some principles. And I think this is important for us to reflect on individually. Really important. Here's a few principles for you about worship and dignity. First of all, God has deeper concerns uh, about you than your dignity and my dignity. That is not his primary concern. But conversely, just because something is undignified doesn't mean it's authentic. It could just be weird. Because we are capable of just, you know, a lack of self-control and attention-seeking behaviour and so on. And thirdly, watch, if like me, your intuitive, instinctive reaction to people, you know, demonstrating their affection for Jesus, let's put it that way, in ways that seem intuitively to you undignified. Just watch your heart in that, is what I'd say. I'm not, you might be right. Could you say that again so I didn't hear it? Okay, so what I'm saying is, if you, like me, have an intuitive reaction to people behaving in ways that seem undignified to you in worship, if, if your intuitive reaction to that is you kind of don't like it, just watch your heart in it, is what I'm saying. Because Michael is a real warning to us. Because there's no doubt David was behaving bizarrely. And she looked on him, and rather than being able to see past his behavior to what was driving it, she just despised him. And she didn't please God in that. In, in our sort of um, end of the Christian market, we're deeply affected by a movement called revivalism. And, and we could talk about this a great deal. And broadly, revivalism as a movement, as an impulse within our sort of churches, is, is all about saying, reviving, fanning into flame people's love for Jesus. And, and in principle, of course, that's a good thing. In one sense, every Sunday we're trying to do that. But um, this movement has, at times, been some of the best movements in the church and actually around the world revivalist movements are the ones that are growing like wildfire. They're the ones that really are energizing the church. But of course, things can go wrong. And sometimes uh, these groups, this impulse in the church can become controlling. You can get leaders who are trying to coerce people into all sorts of things, manipulate people into all sorts of things, and none of that is good. But what I want to say is this. This story of, G of, of David is a sharp reminder to each one of us that the most important thing is that our affection for Jesus is at a 10. And if it's at a 9, or an 8, or a 7, or a 6, or a 5, or a 4, and let's face it, over time, it tends to diminish. That is the natural condition of human beings. We must, first of all, take responsibility for the condition of our own heart before we're judgmental towards others. If it's a choice, 
between undignified people at 10 and dignified people at 6, I'll take the undignified at 10. Now, there'd probably be some stuff there that made me feel uncomfortable. And also, others might look at it and mistakenly think it's the behaviour that matters. So, human beings can, can get into a mess always round. So, pastors have to tread carefully in these matters. But the lesson of 2 Samuel 6 is David pleases God despite the undignity. Michael displeases God because she is driven by concerns other than affection for God. Next. Uh, oh. Now, we do have to take seriously 1 Corinthians 14, and you can go away and read this in your own time, where Paul says, in the context of the congregation, there should be order, peace, and intelligibility. So we just need to bear that in mind as a, a break on perhaps extremes of behavior that don't honor God. And we also, um, I, I think a really helpful verse is that one in Romans 15. Sometimes people behave in worship in a way, and I look at them slightly overwhelmed, and I think, goodness, you're different to me. I couldn't imagine myself responding like that. Well, we're different, and that's okay. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Next slide, please, for your reflection then. And, well, um, really important is we don't learn from experience. Maybe you've experienced stuff like this. But if you just sit in your knee-jerk reaction to stuff, that, that's not wisdom, that's not learning. We learn when we not only experience something, but we go away and we reflect on it, and we reflect on our own heart and how we've responded. So here's a few questions for you to reflect on. Next slide, please. How do you feel about those who appear, and important word appear, less enthusiastic in their worship than you? What's it make you feel? And what's it make you feel, how do you feel about those who are more enthusiastic in worship than you? And how do you feel about people behaving bizarrely in worship? And not, not what you think, how does it make you feel? And why do you think you feel this way? And what might lie behind people's enthusiasm or lack of it? Or their apparent enthusiasm or lack of it? And the most important question, really, how does God want you to respond to him? Jesus died on a cross for you. He had nails driven through his hands for you. Not for the person sitting next to you, or yeah, yeah for them, but for you. He wore a crown of thorns for you. He was spat on and whipped and despised for you. May God grant by his spirit that our affection for him is at a 10. And when it slips away from that, may his spirit never let us go and keep challenging us. May you worship him with great enthusiasm. God bless you.